Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Grab your Bible. I want to go to two places. Go to Acts chapter number 13, and then go to Galatians chapter 2. Acts chapter 13, and then Galatians chapter number 2. I don't know if you are aware or not, but we, uh, we recently had a presidential election. Did you know that? You didn't see anything about that on Facebook? And, uh, you know, the church is becoming more and more politicized. I remember as a kid, you, you protected who you voted for the way you protected how much money you made every year, right? That was just hidden information. And now it is not that. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying it's not that. Uh, It is bad, though, when we take our favorite candidate and baptize him in Jesus and make him Jesus. That is bad. Um, But all that aside, the election's overdone. I know they're still counting and things could still happen. I have have no idea what's going to happen. Things could still happen, but that's that's not the point. The point is what I saw the church doing to each other in the middle of the fiasco. What the church is still doing to each other in the middle of the fiasco. It is radically unbecoming of who we're called to be. Radically unbecoming. To allow a presidential candidate to divide any presidential, doesn't matter who you vote for, to allow an election to divide us so sharply. I would I was online and I was reading comments and things. I was I was seeing people that are family members shoot at each other online. I was thinking, man, Thanksgiving is going to be awkward around that table. There's a lot of healing that needs to take place in relationships after all this. There's a lot of things that people said and fired off and got mad and, you know, posted your memes and your websites and your favorite news sources and all that stuff, trying to mount your case. And I preached last week on how to handle an election hangover. And I want to talk a little bit further about how we've allowed this to divide us. If we were truly, authentically Christian, if Jesus and his kingdom were first and foremost in our life, we would disagree over these things, but we would not divide over them. The fact that we divide over them proves we think this is the kingdom instead of that being the kingdom. You hearing what I'm saying? Let me read some passages to you. It is going to be that kind of morning, so you might as well be able to get ready to shout amen. I'm not going to keep you long, but it is going to be that kind of morning. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read a short passage to you, then we'll go to Galatians chapter 2. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch. Everybody say Antioch. 
Say Antioch. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, everybody say Barnabas. Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. This is the same Saul that would later become Paul, or that was Paul. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. This chapter 13 in the book of Acts is a pivotal moment in the entire book. It's a pivotal moment in the entire Bible. It's a pivotal moment in the entire history of Christianity. Acts chapter 13 is when God calls Paul and Barnabas to go reach the Gentiles. It had been restricted to the Jewish community. And now Saul, also known as Paul, is going to become the apostle of what the Bible calls to the uncircumcised, to the Gentile, to the heathen, to make the announcement that the gospel is not just for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile. The gospel is for all of us. This is Paul's commissioning. And Paul is going out with Barnabas in the church at Antioch. They lay hands on them. They commission them. And boom, Paul leaves on his first missionary journey. This is when he begins writing his letters. This is when he begins preaching his sermons. This is when he begins doing what it is that he does that has shaped us forever. It starts here in Acts chapter 13. Now flip over to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 is actually... Paul's very first letter that he ever wrote. It's his first epistle. And he's telling a story at the beginning chapters of Genesis, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2. He's telling about how he was more zealous for Judaism than anybody. And when Paul means zeal, he doesn't mean he was really excited. When Paul means zeal, he means he carried a sword and he killed anybody that stood in the way of what he envisioned to be the kingdom of God. I was more zealous for the traditions of my fathers than anybody else. I wasn't just a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee among Pharisees, right? Of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Abraham. I was it. He's telling this story. And then God rescues him and changes him. And now he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's telling this story about how God rescued him, saved him, sent uh, him and Barnabas. Watch this. I'm going to start reading with. Uh, I'm going to start reading with verse number seven. On the contrary, when they and this is what happened, Paul gets called. He's in. He's in Tarsus. He gets called. He doesn't even go to Jerusalem to ask the other apostles what they think about it. 14 years later, he finally goes and he tells them, this is what Jesus is showing me. And when he goes to Jerusalem, he is going to tell them about his gospel. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, the Gentile, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcision, for he who worked through Peter, making him an apostle to the circumcised, also worked through me, sending me to the Gentiles. If you don't know this, most of you in here, you're probably a Gentile. Unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. And when James, Cephas, and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, 
they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship. The Jerusalem apostles, Peter, James, John, they're receiving Paul and Barnabas into their fellowship. And they're validating his ministry. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. They only ask us to do one thing, that we should remember the poor, and we was already going to do that. Now, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, where does he come? Where does he come? Antioch. When Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul talking, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction, the Jewish people. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of everybody, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? I'm going to piece all of this together for you, but this is what I want to I show you. There are all sorts of times in Jesus' life and ministry. Jensen, that's a good brother. There's all sorts of times in Jesus' life and ministry that he is framed with political questions. For example, they ask him, do we continue to pay our taxes to Rome? And they're waiting for the Messiah to give them the permission to overthrow the tables and rebuke the empire. And what does Jesus say? Whose picture is on that coin? They say Caesar's. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And in that moment, they're frustrated because we thought you were going to lead a revolution. Where's your sword? We thought you were going to lead a revolution. I saw a preacher this past week post a video online and I'm not going to call any names because if I said his name, any of you know who he is, but he posted a video online calling Christians to take up weapons. Saying this is the time. This is what, because in, when Jesus gets arrested, right before Jesus gets arrested, they come to him and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, sell your jacket and buy a sword. And he takes that verse out of context and he says, this is that time we're living in. Sell what you have and buy guns, Christians. It's time for a revolution. What he missed about that story was when Jesus told his disciples, sell your shirt and buy some swords. They said, look, we've already got two of them. And Jesus said, that's plenty. You going to fight off the Roman Empire with two whole swords? That's not what he's calling us to do. You think about this. Jesus calls a man named Simon who is a zealot to follow him. A violent nationalist that wanted revolution. And then he calls Matthew, a man that works for the empire that Simon is trying to overthrow. Imagine what those conversations look like. 
it feels a little bit like pastoring Hope Unlimited Church. You've got some people on the far left that are ready to burn it to the ground. You've got people on the far right that don't think there's anything wrong. And then you've got a lot of people in the middle that are just saying, can we all just be friends and get along? Talk back to me, Hope Unlimited. Right? Schizophrenic, bipolar, political church is what this place is, and I love it. It is, you got Matthew on one hand and you got Simon the Zealot on the other. Can you imagine? Now think of what Simon thought when Jesus called Matthew. No, Jesus, I can't run with him. We can only accomplish this with people that think just like us. Surely you can only work through people that think just like us. Surely you can't use him. Because he doesn't believe the same way I do politically. That's how perverse it has gotten in the church. That if you don't vote for this person, you're not even a Christian. You're a Christian because Jesus shed his blood, not because you checked something on a ballot box. You hearing what I'm saying? Don't, 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 don't start. I don't want to hear it. I've been fighting all week. Don't feel like fighting anymore. We think God can only use the people that think just like us. This is what we have a tendency to do. We deify, meaning we make, make it like God. We deify our opinions. We know that God has our back and agrees with our opinion. We know it because we feel it so strongly. That we know, that we know, that we know God is with us. Are you aware that that sense of affirmation that you feel, the church throughout its whole history has felt that same way about some terrible things? The church felt that strongly that slavery should remain. And they even had Bible verses to back it up. Nobody is talking to me this morning. The church felt for years that women should not be allowed to be in the ministry because they felt it in their heart so strongly and they had Bible to back it up. We deify our opinion. It's not just our opinion, it's God's opinion. And if we deify ours, we have to demonize everybody else's. We either dehumanize them or we demonize them. Your opinion's not just different, it's demonic. Tell me you've not seen this stuff being said. It's not just different. It's demonic. Demonic is the term that charismatics use to describe anything they don't understand. COVID, it's demonic. It's actually a virus and the vaccine's going to cast that devil out soon, hopefully in Jesus' name. It's demonic. They don't view all of these issues the same way I do. It's demonic. I mean, we just make up names for demons. It's a spirit. 
it's a spirit of somebody. What was somebody told me the other day? It was a spirit of what was it? A spirit of mockery. I said that's not even in the Bible, but I feel you. <laughs> it's a spirit. We call everything demonic. Everything that, that's not like us that we don't understand. People that aren't like us, they're demonic. Joe Biden, demonic. Donald Trump, demonic. People that support him, all devils, every one of them. That's perverse to do that. To dehumanize and demonize in that way. Y'all with me? Like what's the what's the most the most popular one is? Let's see, Hitler, demonic. Now what he did was evil, but the scary thing about him is not that it was demonic. The scary thing about him is that he was human. The scary thing about what he did was he's a person just like us. Demonic. So we deify ourselves. And then we take our opinions and we prophesy them. This is what I want to happen, thus saith the Lord. And when I, what I wanted to happen, thus saith the Lord, didn't happen, you just didn't pray about it enough. There's a scripture in Ezekiel that says the prophets prophesy their own idolatry. We don't prophesy what God is saying. We prophesy what we desperately want to be true. And we put thus saith the Lord on it. Right? That's, a, that's appealing to the ultimate authority. I mean, it takes a lot of guts to look at somebody that says this is what God's saying. And for you to look back and say, no, it ain't. Right? This is what's created this division. We've put God in the middle of it, and we think Jesus is responsible for this division, and this division is absolutely absurd and perverse. And this is not what the church is supposed to look like. They will know you are Christians not by who you voted for. They will know you are Christians by your love for one another. We are terribly afraid of anything that is other than us, that's different than us, that's separate from us. Now, are y'all with me this morning? Talk back to me. Are you with me? In Acts chapter number 10, something interesting happens. In Acts chapter number 10, Peter goes to the house of a man named Simon the Tanner. And he's up on top of his roof. And the Bible says that Peter goes into a trance. He has an open vision, and God shows him all manner of beasts. And God speaks to him, and he says, Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. And what does Peter say? I will not call unclean. I will not eat that which is unclean. And God says, do not call unclean what I have called clean. 
Do not call unclean what I have called clean. God gave him that vision because he was about to fill the Gentiles with the Holy Ghost and Peter had to have a revelation that the people not like you, they can be filled with the power of God too. Do not call unclean what I have called clean. Peter has this amazing vision and then the Gentiles get filled with the Holy Ghost and then the apostles have to go to Jerusalem to fight about it. Because the apostles are saying, wait a second, wait a second. This message is not for y'all. This message is for us. God's on our side, the Jewish people. He's not on your side. And they go up to Jerusalem and they fight about it. And Peter says, you can argue all you want. But what I do know is the same fire of God that fell on us on the day of Pentecost just fell on the Gentile people. Do not call unclean what God has called clean. Right? This incredible encounter, this incredible vision, this incredible experience, a trance and an open vision where God is forever making it known that this is for everybody, that I am for everybody, that I want to pour out my spirit on everybody. And then he calls Paul and says, Paul, I want you to go tell them that this is for them. And take Barnabas with you. It's an incredible explosive revelation that happens in the book of Acts. And on Paul's first missionary journey, he's having to write to some Gentile believers and to some Jewish believers. Because Peter, Cephas, who had this revelation, still won't eat with him. Yeah, I know God's, I know God loves you, but I'm not going to eat with you. And if you are unwilling to eat with them, you don't deserve to preach to them. And Paul said, I had to stand up in Antioch and rebuke him to his face. And say this division is hypocrisy. And we need Paul to stand up to the American church again and rebuke us to our face and say, if you think you were so holy, you can't eat with somebody different than you. It is utter hypocrisy. They voted different than you and you cut them off and won't speak to them. It is utter hypocrisy. If you cut off people in your life because they have different political leanings, it is an idol to you, and that is not the kingdom of God. This is what's even more troubling about it. Paul says, I had to rebuke Peter to his face because even Barnabas, the one that we laid hands on, the one that heard the Holy Ghost say, this is your assignment, even Barnabas got carried away. And stopped eating with the very people he was called to. Barnabas, you could have forfeited your entire ministry because of your hypocrisy. Because of your fear of somebody that is different than you. It is awfully quiet in this Catholic church this morning. 
What do we do in the light of all of this? We don't refuse to eat with anybody. I preached a message a couple of weeks ago about turning tables into altars. And everybody loved it. And everybody amen. And it became a hashtag. And then the election happened. And we forgot all of that. We forgot all of it. I remember when George W. Bush was elected. Bishop T.D. Jakes went to his prayer breakfast. And there was pictures of Bishop T.D. Jakes and George W. Bush eating together. And the church went buck wild. How could you do that? Eating with, and then they call him all other things that, that, that they said about him. And then Barack Obama got elected. And T.D. Jakes went to Barack Obama's prayer breakfast. And there's pictures online of T.D. Jakes and Barack Obama eating together. And the church went buck wild. How could you do that? I didn't know you believed in aborting babies. And you're like, we're having pancakes. <laughs> Can't believe. Do you see how narrow-minded we are? When the, the, the day they called the election, I believe it was a Friday or a Saturday, I posted something on Facebook. Mistake. Mistake. And I said this. To Hope Unlimited Church, which should have been a signal to other people that I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to my church. But they missed that part because they begin to correct me through direct messages and comments. I said to Hope Unlimited Church, let us pray for President-elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris just as we prayed and continue to pray for President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence. And then I said something to the effect of, you are, we are seeing joy and mourning on full display, but God calls us to faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So let's be busy about truly, being truly, fully Christian. I don't know where the translation broke down, but believe me, it broke down. Had a lady direct message me. Who do you think you are telling us Christians what to do? So I had to respond. I wasn't talking to you. Read the message again. Somebody responded. I can't, I'm so disappointed that you stand for abortion. I don't, but that's not important. I suggested that we sit down at a table with somebody that might be different than you, and we called it compromise. We called it affirming wickedness, and the Bible calls it the kingdom of God. When Jesus eating with the prostitute doesn't mean he affirms her prostitution and Jesus eating with the tax collector doesn't mean he affirms his corrupt business practices. If you cannot sit down at a table with somebody different than you, then we have completely missed the kingdom of God. And we are not Christian. 
You might be American. You might be Republican. You might be Democrat. You might be Libertarian. But you are not Christian. Why is it so quiet in here? This division and nonsense has to stop. It has to stop. Because it's absolutely, absolutely perverse. And I'm afraid, Barnabas, that we are missing the very people that we are called to. What makes you think that God's going to call you to reach people just like you? What makes, what if God tells you to reach out to the mothers having the abortions? What if God tells you to reach out to the abortion doctors conducting the abortions? What if God tells you to reach out to the police? Even the ones that don't conduct themselves professionally. What if God tells you to reach out to them? What if God commands you to sit down with Black Lives Matter and sit down with the MAGA people? We don't think like that because we don't think Christian. And we can have our experiences. You can have your visions, Peter. You can have your dreams. You can have your encounters. You can go into your trances. You can talk about how much you love Jesus and this, that, and the other. But if you won't sit down with them, Paul calls us hypocrites. And some of the people that claim to love Jesus so much hate people more than they love Jesus. We pretend, we pretend that our stand, that our stand is because we just love righteousness so much. And it's not. It's we hate people that are different than us more. I told you the story about a minister that came to town. We took him to Starbucks in Turkey Creek. And there's a transgender person that works there. And when the minister pulled up, the minister was driving. We're sitting on the passenger side. When the minister pulls up, this transgender person, it is, it, is, it is evident. They reach out to take the money and hand the drinks. The minister hands them the card and then double takes. <sighs> hands them the card, turns around and says, I can't even look at them. You're a minister of the gospel. I can't even look at them. You're just, you're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have to tell them what you want. I can't even speak to them. Won't even make, won't even dignify them by making eye contact with them. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. We think being a hypocrite means you watched a PG-13 movie and you weren't supposed to do that. No, 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 no. The way you treat people, that's hypocritical. That is deeply, profoundly unchristian. You know what Jesus would do with him? He would sit down at a table and have a Starbucks drink with them. Not in affirmation of what they're doing. It's not the point. It's not the point. But to be willing to reach across and sit down with somebody other than me and show them the love of God and try to play some role in healing any brokenness that's in their life, that's the kingdom of God. We can't even do that with each other. 
much less people that are unlike us. It's actually kind of funny because in Christ, in the Pentecostal world, our all of our all of our all of our worship and all of our language is so Jesus-y. Right? Oh, just love Jesus. That's my white girl praise. Oh, just love Jesus. My Jesus. <laughs> Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Mm. What would Jesus do? He would love first. You don't know Jesus. You don't know the Jesus in this book. You know the Jesus from all those youth dramas that came to kill the devil every time. But you don't know the Jesus in this book. Because the Jesus in this book would leave you to get to the Starbucks worker if he had to. You know what this sounds like to me? Christianity. Christianity. So how do we deal with this election hangover? Number one, we lay down our idol called American politics and we pick up the kingdom and says, you can believe everything different than me. You can literally believe everything the opposite the way I believe it and me and you can still fellowship together. Because you're still my brother. Even if you're not saved, you're still my brother. You with me? Y'all with me? I didn't mean to throw off on the Jesus. <laughs> we would have such a difficult time processing the Jesus of the New Testament. Were he to live among us? Because we don't, we don't believe the Bible. We believe what we think about the Bible. We don't believe the Bible. We read the Bible a certain way, and then we believe that. I posted, I quoted a, a theologian on Facebook. Facebook's the greatest social experiment in the world. It's also terrifying. Because you want to say, no, no, wait, wait, no, (laughs) no, you don't, you don't really, you don't really believe that, right? Like you're trolling. Tell me you're you're joking. Please please tell me you're joking. Please tell me you're joking. And I said, uh, I quoted this theology professor and said, The Christian response to the pandemic, to social unrest, to injustice, to inequality is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. He's talking about the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, you know, love, joy, peace, you know. And somebody fired back. No, it's not. Jesus, man, what is your problem? No, it's not. It's time to turn tables upside down and start rebuking people. And I want to say, you know who Jesus rebuked in that passage? People just like you. The ones that were too high and mighty and holy and righteous to condescend to the commoners. 
Jesus tells us a fascinating parable. In Luke, he says two men came into the temple and one of them prays and doesn't even lift up his head but beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And the Pharisee walks in and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. And he said the sinner went to his house justified. We've got to be Christian again. Are you with me? Stand on your feet. When Cephas came to Antioch, and I want you to think about this. Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch. Back when Barnabas had that first experience. The place where he had that first encounter where God called him and said, I'm sending you to these people. And they're different than you, but I'm sending you to them. Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch and Peter comes. And the pressure, look at me, look at me, the pressure to conform, the pressure to divide, the pressure to separate ourselves, the pressure to shun what is different from me was so great that even Barnabas, in the spot he got called, caved to him. Paul saying, Barnabas, this is your assignment. How you expect to win them if you can't eat with them? You think you're preaching so good that you can treat them like trash and they're going to respond to your altar call? Must be outside your mind. Thank God that Paul stands up and says, Every one of y'all are hypocrites. Every last one of you. Because Jesus sat at a table with you when you didn't deserve it. The very thing that attracted you to Jesus to begin with is when you knew you were not doing right and living like a fool, he came in and rescued you anyway. He's saying, if I did it for you, then bless God, you better be willing to do it for somebody else. How can you say, I love God whom you've not seen when you don't even love your brother whom you have seen? This has to change everything about us. We either want to be American Christian or we want to be Bible Christian, but you cannot be both. You hear what I'm saying? Lift those hands up to him. Father, we thank you this morning. We bless you. Let your word like a sword, like a fire. Let it penetrate us. Let it cut. Let it chasten. Let it correct. Let it prune. Let it wound where it needs to wound. Let it heal where it needs to heal. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. And Father, we repent if we've allowed such unnecessary matters 
to divide us from our brothers and our sisters, we repent. If we've made an idol, if we've deified things that are not you and demonized and dehumanized others, we repent. We repent because that's not you, that's not your nature, that's not your character, and that's not your kingdom. That's not your kingdom. We love you. Make us, make us like you. And the church said, and the church said, and the church said, give Jesus one more shout, hallelujah. There's a scripture that says, let these sayings sink down in your ears. I really hope this shapes us. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take our family, our community, and I'm trying to shape us. I'm trying to form us in a certain way. We're trying to create some culture. We're trying to say, we don't care what you go through. I'm your friend. I'll sit down with you. I had a dear friend of mine this past week, completely unexpected, a dear friend. An absolute bomb went off in his life. Something terrible happened, and it was his responsibility. It was on him. And he's guilty, and he's responsible, and he, he, it's on him. What he did was wrong, just blatantly wrong. Could not be more wrong. There's nowhere else to look but him. And when I found that out, I texted him and I said, listen, you're my brother and you're my friend. And nothing's ever going to change that. And we're going to sit down together. Not so I can rebuke you. No, not so I can bring my scriptures and my sermon but because I'm called to move toward you in your brokenness, not away from you in your brokenness. And if I want to preach to you, but I won't eat with you, I'm a hypocrite. You hearing what I'm saying? Do we say yes to that, Hope Unlimited? Come on, do we say yes to that? In Jesus' name, listen. We love you so, so, so very much. We will be in touch. We're still trying to, uh, to get our footing after the shutdown and after just in the middle of all this. So be sure to stay plugged in and connected with us online. I'm thinking we're going to do some things online during the week as well. Have our services here, but do some things online during the week just so we can stay connected and we can, we can hear what God's saying and, and we can interact and communicate. I'm, I'm praying about that, trying to make some space for that. But we love you so very, so very, so very much. Have a great, great, awesome week. We will see you back here next Sunday, 10 a.m. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.